This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for another episode of Avoid the Maze. Now, for some of you who have been listening this past week, you may have said, wow, Karen, like, do you ever stop podcasting? Well, this week has been very special because I joined a group called Podmatch. And on Podmatch, I have met other podcasters, and many of us have never been a guest on a podcast. But what I'm finding out is that the stories that these podcasters tell in their own podcasts can go even a little bit further when we share them on ours. And as I was going through the list of people, I met Misty Shavers, and I saw that she's a survivor. And the reality of it is, Misty, we're all surviving, but for different reasons. So. I wanted Misty on, number one, to talk about her survival, but how it led her to doing a podcast, because I don't know if you've gotten the same comments I have, Misty, but a lot of people will say to me, I'm talking about friends and family, you know, Uh why are you hanging your dirty laundry out there for everybody to see, Karen? And my comment is, it's not my dirty laundry. It's my life. And if people don't want to hear about it, then they don't have to listen. But it's what makes me the person I am today. Right. So, Misty, tell us a little bit about who you are. And I think everybody's going to notice you have a little bit of an accent, or maybe I'm <laughs> the one with the accent. I don't know. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, thank you, Karen, for inviting me to come on as a guest. I'm very honored to be on your show. Um, I am from Alabama. I'm from a small community in um, a county called Blunt County, Alabama, and I, um, I grew up actually in a little town called Altoona, and um, I went from living in Altoona to going to one little school to transferring to a school that my, all my family went to, essentially, um, because my father was killed when I was four months old. And so that's very special to me to go to the same school and be in the the same community and location where my dad grew up. So it's been a very, very good thing. And uh, I love where I'm from, um, first of all. And, um, but when I was 18 years old, I met a, well, actually I was 17 and I met an older gentleman. He was 24. And um, at the time, my mother was solely against the relationship because of the age difference. Um, And I could not blame her. I would be, too, if it was my daughter. And um, he was a a good guy. I mean, he he was really nice. He was very polite, um, very seemed to be very um, compassionate. And he was also very manipulative, like very manipulative. Like he's a manipulator. Right. He would be like one way one day and then another time he would be somebody else. But at that time, he wasn't that person. And I did wind up getting pregnant at a young age. And then him and I were married as soon as I turned 18 years old. Um, we got married like two months after I turned 18 and we had a baby together. And um, our, my abuse did not start with him until about two months after marriage. And it was just small things like 
you know, like a, a box of crackers would be sitting on a coffee table. And I would say something that really wasn't very bad at all. Just, you know, comment on something and it would trigger something in him, obviously, to make him angry. And he would automatically take it and just like hit me in the eye, just like the corner of the eye. And I thought, what is what is he doing? What is this? I didn't know what domestic violence even meant. Um, you know, and it wasn't spoken about where I'm from. You know, nobody was running around saying, let's do domestic violence awareness. Right. Let's talk to this victim or this survivor. This wasn't a thing in 1996 from this community, you know. Um, so it, this rocked on for like a few years. I mean, at least three years of my life was consumed by isolation, manipulation, narcissistic behavior. Um, he was quite violent at times. He sexually abused me at times. Um, so I was so traumatized. And, it, you know, and I'm, I'm sure I went through postpartum after having a baby yeah, and being that true. young, you know. Yeah. And I was very, um, very calm. I was a very um, shy young girl at that time. And I was just a girl. I look back on that time now and I was just a girl. You know, I wasn't a feet. I wasn't a woman. So I allowed him, I don't feel like I allowed him to, but I didn't know what to do because I was so afraid and, you know, to speak out in a, in a small rural town in Alabama, a community like this, where people were, oh, you're being abused, you know, just leave. Why can't you just pick up and leave, you know, and things like that. These are the reasons and even an interaction with a police department caused me to not want to leave. There was just so many things, you know, train of events that happened, you know, at certain times that made me afraid. Sure. And, you know, I didn't know I didn't know how to survive domestic violence. I didn't even know what it was. And I didn't know why I was being abused, you know, and I knew that that mentally I wasn't all there because he had traumatized me so hard that I lost who I was because I was so consumed with fear. And so um, after that abusive relationship, I kind of went toward another abusive relationship right after that. And stayed in that, right. Right. Stayed in that throughout my twenties. So I didn't really become a survivor of domestic violence until my mid thirties. And I'm 43 now, almost well, in my mid 40s. So the reality of it is, you were surviving, right? Even began. Did mm-hmm. you have all the skills? No. And right. you know, a lot of us, even if we've had training or we're more aware of it than you were, when you love someone, or at least you think you love someone, mm-hmm. you tend to make excuses for that person and for the behavior and you almost become accustomed to that behavior um i was not really in what you would call an abusive uh relationship anywhere near like what you were in but my first marriage um i i think my husband and i got married because his parents expected him to bring a certain girl home my parents expected me to bring a certain guy home. We sort uh-huh. of matched what our parents were looking for. Um, and we labeled it love. Then we labeled it marriage. 
Um, and it really was the, the best thing that came from it is our son, but, mm-hmm. um, there, there was nothing that kept us really together. However, um, he always made me feel like he had something over me. So almost mm-hmm. like what you're talking about, but he did it intellectually. Yeah. And so I was abused with words, making uh-huh. myself feel that I don't belong. And when I went back to my family and said something, my mother used a term that I will never use for anybody, but she said, you made your bed, you have to Mm. sleep in it. Mm. And it was like, but I, I think maybe I made a mistake, mom. And she said, that's up to you. And I think a lot of it was the time and how she was brought up. And so I'm sure for yourself, living in a small town, not really being aware of what abuse really was, loving a man, you just like survived through it every time he attacked you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, um, you know, he, uh, he was very violent, even with my child around. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to be at my mom's, but over a certain period of time. And I can remember an incident where I was working a job. He wouldn't work. I worked. And I was working a job and I had to go come by my mom's and get my child. And she was just a baby. She probably wasn't, but about six months old. And I remember him saying, you know, you better not stay at your mother's for no long period of time, because if you do, you're going to get it. And me just missing my mom and not being able to see her for a long period of time, I overstayed. And I remember when I got home, back home, I was sitting on the couch and I was holding my daughter and he just come up and just hit me. I mean, ball fisted, just like a man right in the face. And I remember it just jolted me. It shocked me and jolted me. And I just kind of I had my baby in my hands and I just kind of gently rolled her onto the floor. You know, incidences like this is what I dealt with. And, you know, I I don't really talk whenever I started the podcast, I didn't really go into major details about what exactly happened. Well, a lot of that's because I was, I'm planning on, I'm not, I'm still going to write a book. And so I did want to talk about some of my journey, but mainly, the how I was able to heal from that journey you know what I mean right and that way I could help other women because I know that there's so many out here that need to heal from what they have went through and they're you know I I reach out to so many survivors every day and some have not healed but they want to advocate but my advice to them is please get healing before you try to help someone else because you get yourself in a pickle doing that because you're going to just turn back around what all this person's went through and you're going to cause more damage, not only to yourself, but to them too, you know? So, um, and you know, they have, I'm assuming that these women feel that if I can help somebody else, it's going mm -hmm. to help me, but you Uh, are right. There has to be some form of healing self love for yourself before right. you give it to another person. Um, so 
you went through a second abusive relationship Mm -hmm. when you got out of that relationship that you said, okay, I'm going to cut myself off from this. And now I'm going to really work on my healing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, The second relationship, um, he was way older, like the first one. Um, And he, he was a drug dealer, like, but he didn't act like, I mean, like, he was honestly one of them people that had a journeyman, uh, he was a journeyman electrician, had a full-time job, made great money, you would never know in a million years that he dealt and dabbled in drugs, and he turned me on to that lifestyle, and it was just an every weekend type of deal, but those drugs were my way out to numb me from the abuse that I had went through. So that rocked on, you know, for those years. And then I finally put everything down and I finally started a journey of self-healing and through my own mentality and through my own studying about what helps women, you know, get over these fears and these abuse and triggers and different things like that. I studied my own mental health. And so I decided I had become sick in my thirties. I had been put on oxygen and had a blood transfusion. And I thought, what am I going to do as an advocate? How how am I going to start this process of this journey? And a podcast seemed like the best thing to do for me. And it's just something I came up with on a whim. And I was spending a lot of time by myself. And I created the podcast because at first I wanted to talk about my journey, self-healing, and then I turned it into, let me help other survivors tell their stories, because I know how important that is, because living down here in Alabama and being around my family, people don't want to hear about what I went through, because they can't take the abuse. It's like mentally, they don't want to hear about some of the tragedy and some of the really serious abuse you know situations that I actually dealt with because it hurts them it's it hurts them to hear about you know well she went through this and I wasn't there to protect her you know because they still have that protection shield of why wasn't I there why couldn't I protect her as a young girl but you know it's taught me a lot about who I am as a woman and you know resilience is something that I think that's just ingrained in me and I just want to help as many victims and many, as many survivors of domestic violence as I can, you know, and if it's using my voice, because I knew, look, even after life, I'll be here. Yeah. I'm never going to go away. <laughs> and this work <laughs> I, I is never going to be completed. So well, it's something, I mean, you know, it's just something that I strive to be better at. And, you know, I, I really do have a strong passion for what I do. And uh, I love to bring awareness um, to the police departments, the local, everything, everything. If I could give ribbons to everyone in the county, I would pass out ribbons to everyone, you know? And the the reality of it is domestic abuse has been around from day one, okay? Um, You know, I don't know if Adam was uh, abusive to Eve or if Eve was abusive to Adam, but somewhere, (laughs) you know, it did start. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times, as we know, uh, it's because one person feels inferior to the other, and this is their way of gaining power. Um, And there are just some people who have that bulliness inside of them, and they're going to take it 
as far as they can um, because, you know, they just think so. And I've met a number of women through the years, uh, especially after my divorce, who had it so much worse than me. And, um, you know, I'm not one to judge. I'm not living in your shoes. I can't Uh -uh. tell you if you should walk, when you should walk, or if you should stay, because that's a personal choice. And some of us as women, we think that we can cure the person. And the reality Mm. of it is they have to cure themselves. They have to see what they're doing. It's about control. It's, It's simply about control. And, and it, that's it, what a lot of abusers want is they want control. And when they feel like they're losing control, that's when they're at their dangerous, right. their most dangerous. And yeah. there are women who are mm-hmm. abusers as well. Yes. Um, and in fact, that was something that I had to look at myself when I came out of my first marriage, because my family always talked in very loud voices. It wasn't mm-hmm. abuse, but Everybody wanted to be heard. And so the voices got louder. And my ex-husband grew up in a very mild-mannered home. And so when he would say and do things that upset me, my voice would get louder and louder and louder. And it's red in the face. And, you know, I would throw pillows and things like that. And then he started accusing me of being abusive. Mm-hmm. And I had to stop and look at myself and say, you know, in some ways I am. Yeah, it's, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, it, it w- became a pattern. Um, uh-huh. And so I had to also learn, you know what, there's things I have to change about myself. It's not just leaving the situation, but knowing how to react in these situations. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So the women that you meet, Again, you talk about being from this small town in the South. And those of us who are up north in bigger cities, we have no idea what small town Southern living is like. So Uh tell me a little bit about that. Is it really what we see in the movies that even though you're watching TV like us and watching movies like us, you're still seeing this very small community aspect of life? Um. Being from a small community and having women that are abused or survivors in this small community, um, you have a lot of royal, lot rural areas, which, you know, you might have to drive, you know what I mean? Like 30 minutes away to get to a city. And it's a relatively small town, you know, just relatively small living. You know, you have restaurants and you know, a Walmart or, you know, convenience stores and things like that. And a few shoe stores, and, you know, it, it's, it's just very, very, you know, farming. This is a farming community. Okay. Um, there's a lot of rows of, you know, corn and cotton and, you know, farm equipment in the, in the smallest town. And, you know, when you go through the town, it's a highway. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, but, but relatively everyone knows everyone from, from the community, just about there have been a, a, you know, a pretty good bit of people move into the neighborhood, you know, into the new community or into the community from, you know, back when I was younger, I did know everyone and everybody knew everyone. And now there are new people that 
I'm not as acquainted with or, you know, and relatively in a small community like now, I stated myself mainly, you know, I'm the type of person that's sort of reclusive, I guess. And uh, because of the work that I do, I don't really like to uh, be out there saying, hey, you know, well, I mean, I am, but I'm not, if that right. makes sense. Uh, but you won't hear a lot from women that are being abused in these right. small towns. It, they're not going to come come clean and be like, yes, I'm being abused. Because a lot of it is because they feel like they're going to be ridiculed. The people are not understandable, not always, because they don't understand it. Right. Um, education is the key to, to learning about what domestic violence is and non-judging and non-shaming or blaming victims. You've got to have an open mind to understand what domestic violence really is. You can't put blame on a female that's being beat down to no end. Right. Because once you do that, you're breaking her from trusting anyone. You know, law, she won't trust law enforcement. She won't trust her doctors. She won't trust the advocate. She don't want to talk to an advocate because these are things, and it goes back to she takes up for him kind of thing. Right. Because of trauma bonding. She feels sorry for him. She wants to help and she wants to save him. But he has to be willing to save himself. And it goes back to men being abused too. Men get abused. Men are afraid of they're not going to be masculine. Right. Their masculinity, their masculinity is going to leave them, and people are going to make fun of them, judge them for being abused, and not walking away from the female. So both sides of the fence. You just got so much that goes along with abuse. You know, we could talk all day about yep. the different studies, right. the trauma bonding, the will of you know control. And that's a very interesting thing to look at because, you know, you've got uh, so many subjects that's on the wheel. And um, I'd have to be looking at the wheel or I'm going to mispronounce some things. That's okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, because my brain works in right. 90 miles an hour because I do so much work, I think. And I'm constantly talking to different women or different people or, you know, my, my phone stays open um, to the community. Uh, and my messenger stays open. I'm never closed. So, um, and I do, I do my victims advocacy work on a volunteer basis. And I do not make money from my podcast. When I first started, I had a small sponsorship um, through Spotify and a couple of other places, but it wasn't but five cents a podcast. Right. Yeah. And it went right back into the podcast right. to promote it. So, you know, and I do all my work on a volunteer yeah. basis. And most of us who are in podcasting today, except mm -hmm. for some of the big stars, the like, yep, um, we do it for one reason, and that is to share information to help yes. each other out. And as I told somebody earlier today, sometimes it's my therapy for the day because yes. it reminds me of what is going on around me. And it says, mm -hmm. hey, take a good look. Okay. Right. You doing your best. Okay. And, you know, sometimes I have to look at myself in the mirror and go, no, I'm not, you know, I'm taking on everybody else's problems. And now I'm sort of taking it out on my friends and family. And I have to take that step back and say, Hey, what triggered this? But you brought, right. you brought up something interesting. Um, when you were talking about 
your baby, okay? Mm-hmm. You knew mm-hmm. how to somehow keep her safe by rolling her down and placing her on the floor. But she obviously grew up in this tumultuous environment. Mm-hmm. So how is she doing today? Um, I Jada was two years old whenever my mother took temporary custody of her. Um, I used to back then when I was 18 and 19, I was angry about it because I didn't quite understand why did you take my daughter? Sure. Well, because there was a lot going on. My child did not deserve to be in abuse. I didn't think about that because I was too busy thinking about we can have this family in some sort of little imaginary world. I thought we can have this family. I want this white picket fence. He can be fixed. We can have a family. We've got a baby. It wasn't going to happen simply because of who he was. Sure. My daughter um, was, was basically raised by my mother, but I, whenever I left the abusive situation, I came back home and I helped, you know, in and outward when I could mother, sure. I, I, Jada went to first and kindergarten school with me. And then when she turned seven, she chose to be back at my mama's. So this was her lifestyle. Uh, Jada has problems, not because of, you know, she's gotten over the past, you know, because she knows of some of what her, yeah, I don't want to say that word, but the man that is her father, she knows some of what he did to her and me, um, because at one point in time, before she was taken from me, she was about 10 months old. I never thought he would hit my daughter. Never. Because he never did around me. That he never abused her like I'm gonna beat her up yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Um. So I allowed him to babysit her. He begged and begged. He was living with his dad in Arab, which is a, a community over, and he begged me to let her stay with him, and I did. You know, very very not smart of me. I was a young girl. I wasn't very. I was very gullible and very manipulated easily, and so. I let him keep her. And when I come on Sunday to pick my child up from Friday to Sunday, her face was black from here up. She didn't even look like the same child. Uh, Police reports were made. Pictures was taken. And the police department that was supposedly supposed to get him, put him in jail, convict him of this, lost everything. They lost the pictures. They lost the police report. Everything was lost. They got away with it. He got away with everything. Um, he's still getting away to this day. He's 50-something years old. He's remarried to a girl that's two years older than our daughter, my daughter. Um, yeah, she's quite young in her late 20s. And um, she's just had a new baby by him. She has a one-year-old boy and a little newborn baby with him. Um, and he is abusing her. And they're mentally abusing their children. She has a mental disability. um, And DHR has been contacted in the area um, by me twice. And I think they thought I was out for revenge. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So DHR really didn't want to hear what I had to say. Um, But other people in the family, his mother, his father, have also come forward and said, we've seen these things happen. But DHR's response to me was, you're a victim's advocate. 
you know that we can't give you information about who's reported. And I said, but I already know who's reported and what is it going to take? One of these babies winding up the morgue for you to do something. And it worries me and bothers me. And I let it really affect me. And I think my daughter lets it affect her. And she suffers with, Jada has epilepsy and some thyroid issues. So a lot of Jada's problems is due to her health. It's really not due to what we went through or she's, I think, very proud of her mom for what I do. And last year, she actually made the purple ribbons that went to the sheriff's department. Oh, how wonderful. Um, Yeah. And she didn't get recognition, but I thanked her, you know, and, and this year I'd like for her to go with me and deliver them and be a part of it more because I feel like she would really really like that you know and and I try to make my daughter a part of things you know when it comes to this but um she's very smart and very she's got two little girls and she's very good mother and I'm very proud of her and we have a good relationship but um she knows all about what her her father does whatever you want to call him I call him something totally different I'm sure you do and that's okay (laughs) Um, I call him a donor so okay yeah he's well, just a donor that's it um well, Jada it, really hasn't ever had that father figure and they say that you know just because uh you can conceive a child it doesn't necessarily make you a parent right okay? and yes. um you did a lot of things the right way when you were going through this I know it uh-huh. has been painful you know to say oh, your mother okay, take my child while I try to fix this, where I'm sure your mother in the back of her head was saying, it's never going to get fixed. Like, why don't you both like come with me? Um, But we do a lot of things out of emotional support. We do because we think we're in love or we want to be in love. Um, One of the things I'm learning about today's generation, and um, it's quite interesting that now, I look back when um, I was in my 20s, you know, every all my friends, you, we were going to get married, we were going to have kids, we were going to have that white picket fence, um, and, you know, life was going to be beautiful. And for some of us, it turned out that way. For others, mm-hmm. it didn't. Um, mm-hmm. Because our generation also learned that, you know what, if it's not right, walk away. So Uh my generation, there was a lot of divorce. Um, Today's kids, they're not rushing to get married and to have the white picket fence. And it's okay to move from one relationship to another. And they're looking for safety. And young girls today, um, except for a few that get involved um, in bad Mm -hmm. relationships, they know when to walk. But as you said, it takes education. And if we don't have the education in place, how are people going to know what abuse is all about? Right. Um, You know, um, I want to mention a couple of things real quick. Um, The the case with Gabby that just happened. Right. uh, You know, that really hurt me. And I'll tell you why, not only because of what that poor girl went through, but when those videos came out in the light, you know, TikTok had right. them. Yep. I, I mean, you know, 
And then you had people victim, victim blaming her so harshly. People that don't know about trauma bonding, gaslighting, all of these things that I could see clearly in these tapes. As an advocate and as a survivor of domestic violence, I saw myself in there. Like seeing her in the back of that police yes, yes. vehicle. I saw my own self sitting there talking about what my abuser did to me in some sort of ways. Um, and then I seen my abuser in that, sorry, whatever you want to call him, murderer. I seen my abuser standing there gaslighting. That's what Brian did, gaslight. He still, I mean, no matter where he, I don't know where the boy is. I hope and pray to God she gets justice. Um, she deserves justice. Right, absolutely. And I just, you know, it tore me up that here I'm an advocate and survivor and I'm working so hard to defend these survivors and victims of domestic violence. And here I'm having to defend a girl that was found deceased. Yes. You know, I think that's sad. Have to be that, way. It, that is sad. Right. We've come, I thought, you know, here we are in 2021. There should be none of that going on. Well, you know what I'm saying? And I've also heard um, on social media how people uh-huh. are blaming his parents and her parents because uh-huh. they knew that this was an abusive relationship. Uh-huh. And you can only blame the parents to a certain point. They were right. both of age to be together. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I know I have a 31 year old and a 45 year old. If I said to either one of them, you know, you shouldn't be in a relationship. This is bad or whatever. They're not going to listen to me because no. they are their own person or they want to at least be. So uh-huh. in, in Gabby's case, okay, to some degree, I think she knew what the situation was, but uh-huh. she also saw so much good. She saw right. how the family brought her in and loved her. Right. He saw that her family brought him in. So they had this protective bubble around them. Uh-huh. And then protective bubble burst. And so I think part of the education that we have to develop is let us all know that when other people see things and they tell you, that's part of your education. You need to listen. Well, I did an educational program um, last year that was called the Man Up Movement. Um, it was developed, well, it really, there was really no development. There's not really a program, but a young man, um, there was a young girl that was murdered by her abuser here in Alabama, and he was friends with her, and he was a coach of a high school football team, and um, not the abuser, but the the man that was friends with her, and he went and created this document about Man Up Movement, you know, let's, let's these football coaches start giving these documents out to these football players and let these young men understand what domestic violence is and how will they stand up for survivors and victims whenever they see something happening, you know. And so I took that and I emailed him and I said, look, can I be a part of this with you? I would love to help you develop this. We did make it a business name in Alabama. And we've got to develop the program. It's kind of moved away, like in the southern half, I think he's in southern half of Alabama now. But um, yeah, uh, we I went out to the schools, a couple of local schools, 
we did t-shirts. I had them sponsored t-shirts made and I went and just talked to the coaches and asked them, can I come speak to your boys about the man up movement? Well, they sign it. And so they did just that. And we got some media coverage with it. We got a, a news article and then we did get, it got on the local television station. And so I was very proud of it. It just, it needs to be developed. There needs to be a lot more people involved. So we cannot just educate young men. And I think that the name should not be just Man Up Movement. It should be named something else. And a group of us need to come up with a bigger picture to where we can go to schools, kind of like the D.A.R.E. program, you know, against drugs. Right. We need to come up with a program where we can go out to different schools and talk to all of the schools. All of the children, the, the females to the, the males, because it really does start with children. Because if I would have known a lot more and been better educated by the time I was 17 years old, I couldn't t- sit here and tell you the truth, whether or not that would have been my choice, that I would have made the choices sure. that went along with that. You know what I mean? Like it would have given me some idea of what domestic violence was, how should I be treated? you know, vocally and physically, because not only was I physically destroyed and traumatized, but he mentally tortured me severely. Oh, I'm um, sure. He did. And so, I mean, you know, for someone to be just telling you you're ugly, your body's ugly, you'll never get no one to love you like I love you, um, you know, all these different things he put in my mind. It took me years and years to get over the things that he put in my mind about who I was as a woman. And now I can honestly sit here and tell you, I love who I am. It took me a long time to love myself. And, you know, that's something I try to instill in young people, uh, you know, their worth and how much they do mean, you know, they should mean to themselves and they need to give themselves really good self, you know, um, I forgot what it's called, but um, you need to look in the mirror and tell yourself all these wonderful things about yourself, you know, because that will help build your self-esteem. Absolutely. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting that you say that because um, I've been with my current husband, uh, mm-hmm. 40 years, married 37. Wow. Um, and I still have flashbacks every once in a while. If, if he says something to me, it, mm-hmm. it feels abusive um, right. in the beginning um, you know, I would get very angry. I have mm-hmm. learned. And so is he, if, I mean, he can tell now by the look on my face, uh Oh, I said it in the wrong tone, or it's reminding you of something in the past. So I want mm-hmm. our listeners to know that even though we heal, we still have those scars. We still have those wounds that yes. occasionally they can pop out at any given moment. But what you said is so important. We have to look in the mirror and we have to say something nice about ourselves. Each, Mm -hmm. Whether you say, I like my hair today. I Mm -hmm. like my eyes. I like how my heart is beating. And I know, I know I'm going to get comments from people like, you know, Karen, you're being very woo woo, but sometimes we have to be. Yeah. can't see that one nice thing about ourselves during the day how do we expect anybody else to see it right and you're right um misty is a very woo-woo person i'm a very um 
I'm a very compassionate human being. Like there's not people, every person on the planet, I believe I have some sort of compassion for. And it's hard for me to dislike people. Like I love everyone. And I try to be understanding and compassionate for everyone around me, you know, and it's hard to find that I think in people. And I think that, that we lack empathy um, and compassion for humanity. There's a very, very big, big bunch of people that are that way. And we got to teach our children to grow up and love, learn how to love ourselves and learn empathy and compassion for all humanity. You because, we'll, you know, the world would be a better place if we did so. And there wouldn't be near as much domestic violence going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, and, you know, that learning begins at home. Okay. Right. And yes, your mother must have had her hands full losing your oh, father, <laughs> you know, early on. Um, right. And she did what she knew how to do with the resources that she had. And so if you're a single parent out there or even, you know, um, a monogamous family working together, you only have the tools that you know about right now. And that's why our podcasts are so important because we're telling you, go out, look for them, ask questions, because if you don't, then you're going to be stuck and being right. stuck can cause violence. And we don't want that for anyone. Right. No. And, and at the, the very top of every podcast, I try to give the information that's out here that could be helpful to someone listening. And my hopes is that they will be a victim in a shelter. They'll be a victim that could get away from that abuser and be riding in her car going down the road. And maybe she's got the podcast tuned in and maybe there's something that she heard me say, or she's heard a survivor and advocate that's come on to be a guest say that could completely change the course of her thinking. Maybe she's at that verge of getting some safety and getting out. But maybe there's just one thing that we can say to her that will break her to, and she'll be free from violence. And, you know, and I think that it's always good to know that you're never alone. Absolutely. You know, you're not alone in that. And so I would have enjoyed, I, it would have helped me a whole lot if I knew I wasn't alone, but I did not know that I wasn't alone. I didn't have a clue. Right. I was this young girl being abused in this small community you know, in this small town, and I virtually felt like I was by myself. And, you know, I'm just doing God's work now. You know, I believe that there's a God. Uh, that's my spirituality. I try not to push it on other people. You know, I know it says in the Bible to preach to other people and let them know about Jesus and God, but it's something that I have a personal relationship sure. with the Lord. And um, I feel like I do God's work, and I feel like that I'm, I'm trying to save lives, you know, before I end, you know, my, my world or my journey ends in this world, because we're all going to face the other side. Absolutely. And before, before I leave this world, I want to make sure that I'm given the tools and I'm doing the right thing as a human being to save lives and, and to help other women. You know, that's just, I'm a caregiver. I, I worked in nursing homes for 19 years before I became sick. And, you know, before I became a podcaster and an advocate and, you know, as an advocate, you know, I just try to save lives and help other women. So, and that, that's my, 
journey. Can you give us, first of all, tell us how to find your podcast. Mm -hmm. And I also, is there a national hotline that people can contact if they're being abused? Yes, uh, the National Domestic Violence Hotline number, I don't have it. Okay, in front of me, I will look it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah, then. yes, yes. Um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline number is available. They have advocates that are on hand to help women. Um, they can find you a shelter in your area. You can actually go on domesticshelters.org, and they have a search engine, and you can type in your area, and it'll come up. Wonderful. And um, also, I'm a Survivor Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you can find a podcast, it's there. It's on 20 different platforms, including iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Amazon. I mean, just ask Alexa, she'll put it on there for you. If you don't have access to Alexa, you can find it. And um, it's ranked three on Feedspot, and I'm very proud of that ranking. It was ranked eight last year, so it's went up in the rankings, and um, that makes me very happy. Absolutely. And well, people can follow me on Instagram. They can follow me on Facebook. Um, you know, um, my Facebook is Misty Shavers, and that's spelled with C on the last name, C-H-A-B-I-E-R-S. And then I think it's Misty, a.k.a. Mista. Uh, and I think it's like that on my Twitter, too. So that's my social media. We'll put all that social media in the in this show notes. So there's no excuse. You know, if right? after you, you've <laughs> listened to this and you go, what did she say? How could I connect? Uh, we'll let you know. Um, again, listen to Misty's podcast. Share it with somebody who you think may need some help. Uh, right. Sometimes they don't want to hear your words, but if you say, right. here's a podcast, you may want to listen to it. They may get right. something out of it. Um, I do want to mention one more thing before sure. we hang up. Um, let's say uh, I did do a podcast with a survivor called Kathy Kleiner. Most of you listening probably know that name because she survived Ted Bundy. Um, I don't always speak to just domestic violence survivors. Um, I do, I do podcasts with survivors. Period. You know um, that have survived violent crimes. Plus, she survived cancer. There's a whole lot that she has survived in her lifetime. But um, back in the '70s, she was at a sorority in Florida, and he attacked her and another girl in a sorority room and then if it hadn't been for someone driving up and the light shining through the window she'd probably be dead and i mean because he was coming back to finish the job and um yeah and that her story's all over youtube so you can look her up um she's actually in the middle of writing a book and i'm very proud to be her friend she's a really good person kathy connor is a wonderful human being Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, And thank you for all that you do, because you know what? The police department can't do it alone. We do know that. There aren't enough social workers in this world who can do it. And sadly, not all of them have the training or understanding that you have. So, um, you know, everyone, let's do our part and let's make this a better world. I mean, 2021, uh, we should all be coming together and uh, working as one rather than as millions of people all around the world. Thank you True. so much. I'll be thank in you, touch. Karen. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye bye now. You too. Bye bye.